0: Hello everyone and welcome to Iroquois History and Legends. This is Andrew. Today, I just wanted to do a short bonus episode for you. We had mentioned in our previous episode that due to the fallout from Pontiac and Guyasuta's war, there was a huge upswing in reprisals towards Native American peoples. Even people that had nothing to do with Pontiac and Guyasuta's uprisings. We mentioned that a group of innocent Conestoga, who are some Iroquois living in Pennsylvania, were horribly and brutally massacred. By a group known as the paxton boys the following year due to an investigation benjamin franklin wrote a long and very detailed retort and criticism of the colony of pennsylvania for failing to protect these people and so i'd like to read some quotes and excerpts from that newspaper article i will not be quoting the entire thing but i'll be taking highlights from it i hope that this gives you an idea of the mindset of the two competing factions and ideals that were going on in 1763. On one hand, you have people like Benjamin Franklin, who are huge advocates for Native American rights. And then you have other people that have this genocidal view that we need to wipe out all of these people and take their land. And then, of course, you have people in between the two, and then you have people that are just totally apathetic about the situation. And Franklin's purpose of writing this is towards those who have those violent tendencies for ethnic cleansing and colonial superiority, and those that are apathetic in allowing this kind of evil to occur. We hope that, after listening to this, it will give you a new perspective. January 30th, 1764. A Narrative of the Late Massacres by Benjamin Franklin. These Indians were the remnants of a tribe of the Six Nations, settled at Canistoga on the first arrival of the english in pennsylvania messengers from this tribe came to welcome them with presents of venison corn and skins and the whole tribe entered into a treaty of friendship with the first proprietor william penn which was to last quote as long as the sun should shine or the waters run in the rivers unquote this treaty has been frequently renewed and the chain brightened as they express it from time to time it has never been violated On their parts or ours until now. As their lands by decrees were mostly purchased, and as the settlements of white people began to surround them, the proprietor assigned them lands on the manor of Conestoga, which they might not part with. There they have lived many years in friendship with their white neighbors, who loved them for their peaceable, inoffensive behavior. It has always been observed that Indians settled in the neighborhood of white people do not increase, but diminish continually. This tribe accordingly went on diminishing till there remained in their town on the manor but twenty persons, seven men, five women, and eight children, boys and girls. Of these, she was a very old man, having assisted at the second treaty held with them by Mr. Penn in 1701, and ever since continued a faithful and affectionate friend to the English. He is said to have been an exceeding good man considering his education being naturally of a most kind, benevolent temper. Peggy was Shihe's daughter. She worked for her aged father, continuing to live with him, though married, attended him with duty and tenderness. John was another good old man. His son Harry helped support him. George and Will Soak were two brothers, both young men. John Smith was a valuable young man of the Cayuga Nation, who became acquainted with Peggy, Shihe's daughter. Some few years since, married her and settled in that family. They had one child about three years old. Bedley, a harmless old woman, and her son Peter, a likely young lad. Sally, whose Indian name was Weonjoy, was a woman much esteemed by all that knew her, for her prudent and good behavior in some very trying situations in life. She was truly a good and amiable woman, had no children of her own, but a distant relation dying she had taken the child of that relations to bring up as her own, and perform towards it all the duties of an affectionate parent. The reader will observe that many of their names are English. It is common with the Indians that have an affection for the English to give themselves and their children the names of such English persons as they particularly esteem. This little society continued the custom they had begun, one more numerous of advertising every new governor and every descendant of the first proprietor, welcoming him to the province, assuring him of their fealty, and praying a continuance of that favor and protection they had hitherto experienced. They had accordingly set up an address of this kind to our present governor upon his arrival, but the same was scarce delivered when the unfortunate catastrophe happened, which we are about to relate. On Wednesday, the 14th of December, seventeen sixty-three, fifty-seven men from some of our frontier townships who had projected the destruction of this little commonwealth came all well mounted and armed with firelocks, hangers, and hatchets, having traveled through the country in the night to Conestoga Manor. There, they surrounded the small village of Indian hunts, and just at the break of day, broke into them all at once. Only three men, two women, and a young boy were found at home, the rest being out among the neighboring white people to sell some of their baskets, brooms, and bowls they manufactured. These poor defenseless creatures were immediately fired upon, stabbed, and hatcheted to death. The good she among the rest, cut to pieces in his bed. All of them were scalped and otherwise horribly mangled. Their huts were set on fire and most of them burnt down. When the troop, pleased with their own conduct and bravery, but enraged that any of the poor Indians had escaped the massacre, rode off and in small parties by different roads went home. The universal concern of the neighboring white people on hearing this event and the lamentations of the younger Indians when they returned and saw the desolation and the butchered, half-burnt bodies of their murdered parents and other relations cannot well be expressed. The magistrates of Lancaster sent out to collect the remaining Indians and brought them into the town for their better security against any further attempt. And it is said condoled them on the misfortune that had happened took them by the hand, comforted it, and promised them protection. They were all soon put into the workhouse, a strong building, as the place of greatest safety. When the shocking news arrived in the town, a proclamation was issued by the governor in the following terms. Whereas I have received information that on Wednesday, the 14th day of this month, a number of people armed and mounted on horseback unlawfully assembled and went into the Indian town of the Conestoga Manor in Lancaster County, and without the least reason or provocation, in cold blood, barbarously killed, six of the innocent Indians settled there, and burnt and destroyed all their houses and effects, and whereas so cruel and inhumane hack committed in the heart of this province unset Indians, who have lived peacefully and inoffensively among us during all our late troubles, and for many years before, were justly considered as under the protection of this government and its laws, calls loudly for the vigorous exertion of civil authority to detect the offenders and bring them to punishment, to apprehend and secure them in some of the public goals of this province, that they may be brought to trials according to the law. I do therefore hereby strictly forbid all persons whatsoever to molest or injure any of said Indians, as they will answer the contrary at their own peril. John Penn Notwithstanding this proclamation, those cruel men again assembled themselves. Hearing that the remaining fourteen Indians were in the workhouse at Lancaster, they suddenly appeared in that town on the twenty-seventh of December. Fifty of them, armed as before, dismounting, went directly into the workhouse, and by violence broke the door open, and entered with the utmost fury in their countenances." When the poor wretches saw that they had no protection nigh, nor could possibly escape, and being without the least weapon for defense, they divided into their little families. The children, clinging to their parents, they fell on their knees, protested their innocence, declared their love to the English, and that in their whole lives they had never done them injury. And in this posture they all received the hatchet, men, women, and little children, were all, every one, inhumanely murdered in cold blood. The barbarous men who committed the atrocious fact in defiance of the government of all laws human and divine and to the eternal disgrace of their country and color then mounted their horses, huzzad in triumph, as if they had gained a great victory, and rode off unmolested. The bodies of the murdered were then brought out and exposed to the street till a hole could be made in the earth to receive and cover them. But the wickedness cannot be covered. The guilt will lie on the whole land, till justice is done on the murderers. The blood of the innocent will cry out to heaven for vengeance. It is said that she before being told, that it was to be feared some English might come from the frontier into the country and murder him and his people, He replied, "'Tis impossible. There are Indians indeed in the woods who would kill me and mine if they could get at us for my friendship to the English. But the English will wrap me in their matchcoat and secure me from all danger." How unfortunately he was mistaken. These proclamations have yet produced no discovery. The murderers, having given out such threatenings against those that disapprove their proceedings, that the whole country seems to be in terror, And no one does speak what he knows. If an Indian injures me, does it not follow that I may revenge that injury on all Indians? It is well known that Indians are of different tribes, nations, and languages, as well as the white people in Europe. If the French, who are white people, should injure the Dutch, are they to revenge it on the English because they too are white people? The only crime these poor wretches seem to have been that they had reddish-brown skin, and black hair, and some people of that sort, it seems, had murdered some of our relations. If it be right to kill men for such reason, then should any man with a freckled face and red hair kill a wife or child of mine, would it be right by killing all the freckled red-haired men, women, and children I could afterwards anywhere meet with? But it seems these people think that they have better justification nothing less than the word of God. With the scriptures in their hands and mouths, they can set naught at the express command, Thou shalt do no murder, and justify their wickedness by the command given Joshua to destroy the heathen. Horrid perversion of scripture and religion. Even the Jews, to whom that particular commission was directed, spared the Gibeonites on account of their faith once given. The faith of this government has been frequently given to those Indians, but it did not avail them with the people who despise government. We pretend to be Christians, and from the superior light we enjoy ought to exceed the heathens, Turks, Saracens, Moors, Negroes, and Indians in the knowledge and practice of what is right. Now, I'm about to mention something of Indians. I beg that I may not be misunderstood as framing apologies for all Indians, I am far from desiring to lessen the laudable spirit of resentment in my countrymen against those now at war with us. So far as it is justified by their perfidity and inhumanity, I would only observe that the six nations, as a body, have kept the faith with the English ever since we knew them, now near a hundred years. I will not disassemble the numerous stories that have been raised and spread abroad against not only the poor wretches that are murdered, but also against the hundred and forty Christianized Indians still threatened to be murdered, all which stories are known by those who know the Indians best to be pure inventions and believed only by the weak incredulous. I thus publicly, on the makers and vendors of these accusations to produce their evidence, let them satisfy the public that even Will Soak, the most obnoxious of all that tribe, was really guilty of the offenses to which they lay his charge, but even if he was... Ought he not to have been fairly tried? He lived under our laws and was subject to them. He was in our hands, and might have easily been prosecuted. Was it English justice to condemn and execute him unheard? Conscious of his own innocence, he did not endeavor to hide himself when the door of the workhouse his sanctuary was breaking open. I will meet them, says he, for they are my brothers. These brothers shot him down at the door, while the word brothers was still between his teeth. But if Will Soak was a bad man... What had poor Shihas done? What could he or the other poor men and women do? What had the little boys and girls done? What could the children of a year old, babes at the breast, what could they do? That they too must be shot and hatcheted, horrid to relate, and in their parents' arms. This is done by no civilized nation in Europe. Do we come to America to learn and practice the manners of barbarians? These poor people have been always our friends. Their fathers received ours when strangers here, with kindness kindness and hospitality behold the return we have made them when we grew more numerous and powerful they put themselves under our protection see the mangled corpses of the last remnants of the tribe how effectual we have afforded it to them unhappy people to have lived in such times and by such neighbors we have seen that they would have been far safer among the ancient heathens with whom the rites of hospitality were sacred they would have been considered guests of the public and the religion of the country, they would have operated in their favor. But our frontier people call themselves Christians. They would have been safer if they had submitted to the Turks. For ever since Muhammad's reproof of the Khalid, even the cruel Turks never killed prisoners in cold blood. These were not even prisoners! But what is it to example Turks to scripture Christians? They would have been safer, though they had been taken in actual war against the Saracens. But shall we compare Saracens to Christians? They would have been safer among the Moors in Spain, though they had been murderers of sons, if faith had once been pledged to them, a promise of protection given. But these have had the faith of the English given to them many times by the government. And in reliance of our faith, they lived among us and gave us the opportunity of murdering them. They would have been safer, it seems, among Popish Spaniards. These were not enemies. They were born among us, and yet we have killed them all. But shall we imitate idolatrous papists? We are the enlightened Protestants. They would have been safer among the Negroes of Africa, where at least one manly soul would have been found with sense and spirit and humanity enough to stand a defense. But shall white men and Christians act like a pagan Negro? In short, it appears that they would have been safe in any part of the known world, except in the neighborhood of the Christian white savages of Peckstang and Dongle. O oh, ye unhappy perpetrators of this horrid wickedness, reflect a moment on the mischief you have done. Disgrace you have brought to your country, on your religion and your Bible, on your families and children. Think on the destruction of your captive country folk now among the wild Indians, which probably may follow in resentment for your barbarity. Think on the wrath of the United Five Nations, hitherto our friends, but now provoked by your murdering one of their tribes, in danger of becoming our bitter enemies. Think on the mild and good government you have so audaciously insulted, laws of your kings, your country, and your God, you have broken the infamous death that hangs over your heads. For justice, though slow, will come at last. All good people everywhere detest your actions. You have imbued your hands with innocent blood, how will you make them clean? The dying shrieks and groans of the murdered will often sound in your ears. Their scepters will sometimes attend you, even your innocent children. Fly where you will, your consciences will go with you. Talking in your sleep will betray you in a delirium of fever. You yourself shall make your own wickedness known. 140 peaceable Indians yet remain in this government. They have, by Christian missionaries, been brought over to a liking, at least, of our religion. Some of them lately left their nation, which is now at war with us, because they did not choose to join with them in their depredations. And to show their confidence in us, and to give us equal confidence in them, they have brought into our hands their wives and children. Others have lived among us in Northampton country, and most of their children have been born here. These are now trembling for their lives, They have been hurried from place to place for safety, and now concealed in corners, then set out in the province, refused a passage through a neighboring colony, and returned, not unkindly, perhaps, but disgracefully on our hands. O Pennsylvania! Unmanly men, who are not ashamed to come with weapons against the unarmed, to use the sword against women, and bayonet against young children, and who have already given such bloody proofs of their inhumanity and cruelty, Let us rouse ourselves for shame and redeem the honor of our province from the contempt of its neighbors. Let all good men join heartily and unanimously in support of the laws and in the strengthening of the hand of government that justice may be done, the wicked punished, and the innocent protected. Otherwise, we can, as a people, expect no blessing from heaven. There will be no security for our persons or properties. Anarchy and confusion will prevail over all, and violence without judgment will dispose of everything. I shall conclude with observing that cowards can handle arms, can strike where they are sure to meet with no return, can wound, mangle, and murder. But it belongs to brave men to spare and protect, for as the poet says, mercy Still sways the brave.